Hello, everyone, and welcome to RPG for You and Me. My name is Kira, and I'm the GM of Neon Heat and Silica Valley, and the PC of Absolute Zero. I'm a transgender woman. I didn't realize this until several years into the production of our podcast, and it was another year after that until I started recording this myself. It will be February of 2023 when this particular prelude is released into the main feed. To say that my world turned upside down would be a gross understatement, but it's been a transformative experience in both a figurative and literal sense. A large portion of this journey has been struggles with my own self-identity and allowing myself the time to adjust and reframe many aspects of my life. This primarily meant that it became increasingly more difficult for me to put on the charade of being who people thought I was because I wasn't ready to be who I actually am. I'm overjoyed to finally be at a point where I can share this with all of you and step out into the open as the person I am and stay that way. One of the primary reasons it took me until I was 33 to realize I am a transgender woman is visibility. I had no resources or role models growing up Unfortunately, the media representations about what it means to be trans were all well off the mark, ranging from ill-informed to outright offensive or used as comedic material. Representation for transgender men and other gender identities was, and often is, almost non-existent, although it's getting better in some spaces. It took getting to know some now very dear friends who were kind, patient, and generous enough to allow me to ask questions that I was finally able to put the pieces together about why my own life has been off for its entirety. Because of the nature of actual plays and audio drama style storytelling, there's no conceivable way for us to go back and remove the traces of who I used to be, or rather, who I thought I was. It's often extremely painful for people in the trans community to be confronted with or reminded of the false identity that we were forced to wear, which has no bearing on who we actually are. Dead naming, or the use of a prior legal or assigned name, is one of the most difficult to grapple with in many cases. Every trans person is different, on their own journey, and has their own preferences. My preference is that you please refer to me by my chosen name, which is Kira, and my pronouns, which are currently she, her. However, it's important to me that all of our old content remain up, not only for the storytelling element and the fact that we spent years building the story and world that we love so much and hope you do enjoy or will enjoy as well, but so that the record of my own journey through transition will remain visible and that I remain visible as a transgender woman in the tabletop and audio community. Because I never had access to resources or examples of what transition actually means and how it can save lives, mine turned out differently than it might have and I got a later start than I would have liked. I'm extremely happy with who I am now and who I'm becoming, but things might have been different. I want to be visible in that sense, so others have a chance to see and ask their own questions, so they aren't stuck with the same choices I was, and so they can see that it is possible and within their own reach. It's difficult in many ways, because I still, and likely will into the future, struggle with my own insecurities and internalized issues regarding identity. You'll probably continue to hear changes over time as my voice continues developing. I've been training for about a year now with online tutorials and lots of practice. I highly recommend trans voice lessons on YouTube. One of the greatest resources that I was directed to and try to point people towards if they have questions or would like to do a little bit more research is a website. It's genderdysphoria.fyi. Dysphoria is D-Y-S-P-H-O-R-I-A. 
It can be very scary for trans people in today's world. I ask everyone to continue being kind to those around them and share support wherever you're able. Vote every time. Lives depend on it. Thank you to everyone in this community that has shown me love, kindness, and support. It means the world to me. I didn't want to continue recording content as my fake self, but I wasn't ready to be who I am in front of you all. But I am now. Finally, because I want to be open about who I am, I am happy to answer questions regarding my experiences and transition journey as long as they come from a place of respect and curiosity. I love you guys and this community so much. Neon Heat gave me the opportunity to explore who I really, truly wanted to be, and it ended up that I was portraying characters and storylines for myself all along too. Sometimes we speak to ourselves in unexpected ways. Listen to that voice inside when it speaks to you. It isn't always wrong. So again, I'm Kira, and it's wonderful to meet you, whether it's for the first time or whether we've met many times before. We hope you enjoy the shows. We definitely do. As always, Pickle, you got all my heart and more. Thanks, Pickle. Once and forever, Pickle. <laughs> Your eternal Pickle. Your eternal Pickle. <laughs>
were the first to witness the manifestations of the volatile Cori energy that caused the zero. It existed in all states of matter, solid crystals sprouting from the ground, pools of liquid energy pouring up from the reservoir deposits and rivers beneath the surface, gaseous and intoxicating fumes that leaked or spewed from cracks and geysers in the crust. Cori could be harnessed as a form of super energy, and it was used to create incredible technologies. All manner of life was exposed to Cori, and it changed them at a genetic level. Some humans and Karnak mutated into new races, and strange creatures evolved from existing life, ready to take their place in this new and changing ecosystem. The Cori infused in living beings sometimes granted them abilities beyond the limits of the imagination, ensuring that the world would become a much more vibrant, if deadly and unpredictable place. Living creatures with the ability to innately harness their natural Cori connection became known as links or linked. Within living memory, the world began to recover from the zero, acclimating to the changes Cori brought and entered an age known as the Thaw. The equator was the first area that began returning to a normal temperature, becoming habitable once more, even outside of the shelter of the megacities that survived during the zero. This new zone of temperate climate and melted ice is called the Belt. More than ever, survivors flocked to it from the frozen wastes that make up the majority of the world. Civilization began to rebuild itself, growing, mutating, and trying to return to what it once was. Contact reopened between the surface dwellers and the subterranean civilizations. Corporate structure and politics began to re-emerge, now laced with the volatility of Cori-influenced culture. Life thrives and struggles in a way it hasn't been forced to for generations. This story begins on the belt. A city falls into view as the last light of the day fades onto the horizon. And in the distance, we hear the revving of a motorcycle. We open with a wide shot of a silhouetted cityscape. Neon signs twinkle in the fading light, and we see the sun beginning to dip down near the pink and purple horizon. Palm trees of varying heights sway in the evening breeze. We hear the faint sounds of bustle in the city below. Smash cut to a super close-up shot of the wheels of a motorcycle in motion. The engine roars as it revs. Cut back to the cityscape. The camera begins to pan down, zooming in and picking up speed to a street in the heart of the city. The sounds of activity grow louder as we approach, to an upward angle from the street, pointed at the front of the motorcycle. The headlight flashes as the bike swerves through traffic. Hunched on the sleek frame, is a masked rider. The engine is a constant snarl in the background. Back in the air, the camera zooms and sweeps through the city until resting above a major thoroughfare bathed in the multicolored light of flashing signs. We follow two motorcycles as they weave in and out of traffic, one pursuing the other. We fall into an over-the-shoulder shot of the pursuing rider atop the bike we've been following. What do we see, Allie? Oh, man. Okay. The rider is a lanky woman. She has a dark gray armored vest, matching pants, and black leather boots. They look well-worn. She's tall. She's lean. 
She has a silver gauntlet on each forearm and they're glinting in the passing neon lights as she rips down the street. She's wearing a mask. The faceplate of the mask, it's hard light, dark, deep blue, almost black. It shows these startling cybernetic versions of her eyes underneath the mask and they're glowing a bright yellow orange. Her hair is this long tangled black mask that's whipping behind her as she continues to pursue this motorcycle in front of her. A smaller scrawny figure occasionally glances back when there's a break in traffic. You weave in and out between the cars. They blare their horns at you as you pass. An industrial smell fills the air. Diesel grime, and waste. Fierce wind whips against you, catching your hair in the breeze. The fleeing driver soon peels off the main drag and makes his way down side streets and side alleys, trying his best to lose you. And that's where we'll pick up. I'm ready. You have a five of spades. He has a nine of clubs, so he goes first. Huh. However, when a club is drawn in a chase, <sighs> that means something catastrophic could happen. Oh, so I hope it does. So he first needs to make a maneuvering roll with complications at minus four. <laughs> Holy shit. So he got a five minus four. That is a one. That is not a success with the success threshold being four. And that means it is treated as a critical failure on his maneuvering roll. They have to roll on the out of control table. It's a seven. He's distracted. Vehicle spins out or skids. Okay, so as you are in hot pursuit of him, he skids around the corner, doing his best to quickly evade you and lose you in the traffic, and he bumps up onto the sidewalk, cutting the corner too quickly, has to swerve before he bashes into something, and goes into a skid that he manages to pull up at the last second, and he is distracted. Nice. Until the end of his next turn, so that's a minus two to everything he does. So as a free action, he's going to attempt to change position to move ahead of you. Okay. Uh, so he is not trained in motorcycling and driving means he is at a minus two penalty and because he's distracted, it increases to minus four and he rolled a three. So he got negative one. He cannot move. Does this jackass even have a driver's license? <laughs> you don't know. I don't. He might be able to investigate that. He is not able to navigate his way through the traffic well enough to gain any ground ahead of you. In his desperation, he pulls out a pistol and turns around to fire a number of pot shots at you. That sounds right. He rolled a three. He's distracted at minus two, and he gets the unstable penalty for being on a motorcycle at a further minus two. So he got a negative <laughs> one. He turns around when there's a slight break in the traffic and pops off a couple of bullets. They go wide. One pings off the chassis of your motorcycle, but they zoom past your head. Nice. What would you like to do? I would like to use a free action to try and catch up. What is your maneuvering skill? You're driving? D4. D4? Okay. Go for it. Target's four. Well, I didn't get that. Twos on both of them. So you're so you're not two. able to gain any ground on him in the midst of this chase, but you still have an action. What would you like to do? I want to cast Bolt at him. Okay. Can I hold steady? Yes. You can ignore the unstable platform penalty for this turn, and he will get a plus two to hit you if he tries to attack you. Well, thumbs the brakes. How about a nine? Cast with a raise, that gives you a bonus 1d6 damage. Sure does. And you got an eight. And you're attacking him? Yes. Okay. His toughness is a four. Mm. So that is a hit with a raise, which means it's going to shake him and cause one wound. She is holding steady with her left hand on the steering, what's it called on a motorcycle? A 
the, the steer the handle, bar. Handlebars? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. She's got her left hand on the handlebar and she starts charging up this yellow-orange energy in her right hand. Kind of like how Captain Marvel punches energy out. I would like to do that. Okay, so you punch out this comet-like globe of energy that I think you even arc it right between two cars and it smashes into his back. You see him get thrown forward by the blast of energy in the back. Some char marks in the leather of the jacket he's wearing. And he flicks his head back to glance at you as he's driving and then refocuses on the road. Is his hair wafting in the breeze? He's wearing a helmet. Ah. He's got a helmet on. Similar to you, but not as cool. <laughs> well. You got a three of spades. He got a jack of spades. He is still distracted, so he's going to try to maneuver again and fails. Still can't put any distance there. He's going to use his shooting to try to create an obstacle for you to overcome. He's going to shoot the tire out of a car that's passing by and hopes that it will swerve and make life harder for you. Okay. The 10 with unstable platform and him being distracted, he gets a success on that. Make a maneuvering roll. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. You're I driving. Can do that. Bad. Yeah. One and a two, one and so a two. I'll take the two. Would you like to Benny it? I would like to Benny that. I can use one of your three Bennies to re-roll any trait roll? That'd be a four. That's a success, so he's whipping through traffic, dodges between two cars, aims his pistol down towards the ground, pulls the trigger, and there's a violent pop as the rubber of one of the passing taxi tires explodes. And you can see the driver panicked in the window, starting to move his steering column back and forth. The vehicle begins to skid and turn perpendicular to traffic. How do you evade this with your success? Oh, geez. I would like her to yank up on the handlebar and hop up onto the sidewalk and swerve around. Uh, there are probably pedestrians, huh? There are probably some, but I think that's doable. Okay. I would you, like to do that. People get the fuck out of your way. Good. And it is now your turn. You're hot on his trail. Nice. Well, I'm going to try and be hotter. Hotter. Mm, impossible. How's a four do? That's a success. Oh, good. So you, you move one unit closer. You're now within five feet and you still get an action. What would you like to do? Mm, could I activate shape metal? Yeah, yeah. Roll your essence die. Eight. Success with a raise. The shape metal ability, which is a custom ability we've made for the setting. It works like telekinesis, but only for metal. You can affect metal within your range, which I think is two times your smart die, with a strength equal to d12, which is very strong. So that is now active, and as part of your casting action, you can do something with that. So what would you like to do? Is there a street lamp? If not lining the street itself, then at least on every corner, flickering with golden light in the ambiance of the now darkening sky. That's very pretty. I would like to ruin it. Wonderful. I would like to bend it at a very sharp 90 degree angle, about two feet up, and hopefully he hits it. You're not lifting it to hit no. him with it. You're bending it to I'm get bending into his path. It. Oh, God. Okay. Roll strength. Five. Five will be enough. Whew. These are flimsier street lamps, but you manage to bend it down just in time for him to... Oof, man, how am I going to resolve this? Would it be a maneuvering roll? I think it will be. He did fail that roll. Good. Ooh, okay. Um, this piece of shit. Roll damage for that. Do your d12 strength plus 1d6 as a, an improvised weapon. 15. Holy shit. Seriously? Yeah. Oh my god. That's a hit with two wounds. He's going to try to soak this one. 
one of his two bennies. That is a critical fail. That is two ones. <laughs> which means, even as the storyteller, I am not able to re-roll that with bennies. That is a shame. You guys are going through traffic, and you can see up ahead a street lamp. You just reach up and wrench down. As you do that, you create a lever point in the middle of the lamp and bend it 90 degrees down directly into his path. With the speed at which he's going and how quickly you can pull it down, it doesn't clothesline him, but it clips him in the bike and crushes down on his shoulder. Ooh. I'm going to make him make a maneuvering roll. Ooh, that is a fail. I'm going to make an out-of-control roll. Five distracted so this lamp comes down and clips him very hard on the shoulder does the bulb explode yes absolutely it does you see the shocks on his bike get pressed down sparks begin to fly as the metal grinds on the pavement for a moment but he somehow manages to keep his bike upright but he is now leaning more heavily to the side he was just crushed on so he does not appear to be having a very good time That checks out. He's at three wounds now. Oh, no. Well, for oh, no for him. Yeah, no for him. Good for me. Yeah, maybe. Ooh, that is a seven of clubs for you and a ten of hearts for him. That's not great, huh? Uh, Not really. He's still distracted, so he is going to try to maneuver. He's a minus three penalty for his wounds because he's going to minus one penalty for each wound. Mm -hmm. He gets minus two because he's untrained and he gets minus two because he's distracted. So this is at minus seven. I probably shouldn't even roll for this, but I'm going to do it. That's a one and a two. Ooh. So he is not able to get away from you. He's going to use his action to evade, which is going to give you a minus four to hit him. Okay. He is doing his damnedest to stay upright on his bike and put distance between you and trying to get the fuck out of dodge. You got a spade. Make me a maneuvering roll at minus two. And if you fail, the vehicle is bumped, so you will be a little further behind. Well, I failed. You've pulled down that street lamp. After it smushes onto him, you're watching what happens, but you didn't anticipate how far you were going to pull it down. So you have to take a beat to swerve around it and not clothesline yourself on it. Yeah, it's fair. And that amount of time allows him to pull just a little bit further out of you. Motherfucker. What would you like to do? I would like to hold steady. I want to try and crunch one of his wheel rims to make it harder to use his getaway bike. Go ahead and roll your strength and uh, d6. 13. Vehicle's toughness is 7, so that's going to be a hit with a raise, which will cause one wound to the vehicle. Excellent. Excellent indeed. And when a vehicle is damaged, the driver has to make a maneuvering roll or go out of control. He goes out of control. So first off, the vehicle is bumped which means you can choose to move him one closer or one further away. One closer, closer. please. Okay. He is bumped backwards, and he needs to make a roll on the out-of-control table, which is a six. He's, again, distracted. Because you dealt damage, there's a roll on the vehicle critical hit table. Would you like to roll me 2d6 for a result, please? Yes. Six. Chassis hit. The vehicle suffers a hit in the body with no special effects. After swerving out of the way of her own trap, she forgot to put back up. She's getting frustrated with following this guy. And she's outstretched one hand, fingers reaching, brings it quickly back to her chest, crushing her hand closed. The metal of the rim crumples in on itself like a little crushed paper. You managed to crumple the rim enough that the wheel is now not a perfect spiral when it's spinning. So you can see the wheel in motion. It's wobbling back and forth a little bit. His speed drops noticeably, and he gets back a little bit to you. You're now only five feet behind him. Oh, boy. 
You got a 10 of spades. He gets a 7 of spades. So you get to go mm. first. What would you like to do? Excellent. I would like to use my action to change position. Go ahead and roll change position at plus 2. That'll be your driving. 6. Success with no raise. So you I'll are now it. on the same chase card as he is. Mm, good. He is going to... He's having a bad day. Oh no, poor that guy. <laughs> he is going to use his full action to try to change position to get some ground away from you. Two threes with his three wounds. His bike gets a minus one because it has a wound on it. <laughs> and he's untrained, so that's another minus two. This dude's not, not doing so hot. That's his turn. How does he react when he sees her pulling up beside him? As you look over, you can see he's essentially steering with one hand now. His other arm is on there, but it's limp noodle. Doesn't look so great. His helmet flicks over to you, back to the road, then back to you, and then back to the road a couple of times, and he's trying to edge away from you, but you are pretty easily keeping pace with him. You've drawn a four of diamonds. He gets a jack of clubs. Oh. As it is a club, he gets a complication, which is a spade. So he needs to make a maneuvering roll at minus two, where the vehicle is bumped. Mm, by me, perhaps? Perhaps. That's uh, a big old no on the maneuvering. <laughs> he rolled a five at his significant minus six penalty. So many minuses could succeed if he blows up a lot. That's true. But he might just end up blowing up. <laughs> he gets bumped. What do you think happens? How does he get moved behind you into a worse position? When she is caught up to him and he's looking over at her, all panicked, like she uses his slight distraction to pull just ahead of him and put on her brakes a little bit to force him back. Okay, I like that. You're right in front of him now, so he's going to pull out his gun and try to shoot you. Uh, whoops. He, he's, he's tried to get away. He has not succeeded at that, so he's going to try to shoot you. Three and a one at his minus three wounds and minus two unstable platforms. So yeah, he's using his good hand, his offhand, to try to pull the pistol and shoot at you while he uses his bad hand to try to stay steady. But mm. it's just too damaged to do that. So in his panic to also remain in motion and not crash, the shots go completely wide. He's essentially firing at random wildly in front of him. One zooms past your head, another one smashes through a car window on your left, which you quickly overtake. The others go off into the night. You don't know where. Gotcha. Your turn again. I'd like to try something a little dicey. A little dicey? A little dicey. <laughs> something you want to roll for, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Uh. I would like to try something a little dicey. Okay. okay. What, what do you want to try? <laughs> I'd like to ram him. Okay. But not be on my bike anymore. Have my bike wreck into his shit. So your intention is to jump off of your bike because you're in front of him. You mm -hmm. want to jump off your bike, have your bike drift back into him and cause a wreck or something? Absolutely. Roll me a ram. Roll me ram. Opposed maneuvering rolls. Hmm. So you roll your maneuvering and he's going to roll his. Let's. Four. He also got a four. However, has a minus four penalty. Oh, God. Uh, so he gets a zero, which means you get a success with a raise. Base damage is 1d6. You get an extra d6 because you got a raise. So 2d6 damage. Don't you fuck me. Huh, nine. Wait, no. Just, it blows up. So I got a six. You got a six? <laughs> roll, yeah, roll it again. Twelve. He's going to be bumped. Fails his handling. Go figure. Rolled a four with his minus four. Or minus five now, I guess. Uh, out of control. Six. Distracted again, man. Vehicle critical hits. <laughs> that is a two on the out of control table, which is major collision. 
That's nice. Everyone in the vehicle is distracted, so minus two penalty. Has this bitch ever been not distracted? I, I don't... <laughs> and the vehicle takes D4 wounds and one critical hit. I rolled a four, so it takes four wounds and is already at two wounds. How does so that work? Anything over three wounds just means it's wrecking. Cool. So, oh Jesus. It's 46 damage. This dude's good. To the bike or to the guy? To the guy. Oh no! That is 18 damage. What did I do? <laughs> he takes 18 damage from the collision. Uh, yep. That is shaken with three raises. I'm gonna spend a Benny to try to soak this for him. Oh god, no! <laughs> That's another critical fail. It's oh two ones. Oh my god. That's not even including his wound penalty. So describe to me what it looks like when you bail on your bike. Because you're jumping off a bike at high no. speed. This yeah, is... I am. It's a couple moving into a new apartment and there's just a box of comforters or pillows on the side of the road. Your face says no. So what I'm going to do instead. <laughs> <laughs> In a practiced motion, she tucks and rolls off to the side into the gutter as well as she can. Uh, does she often bail on motorcycles? You don't know. We I... haven't explored her character that much yet. Yeah. Maybe she's really good at this. We're make, gonna find out. Make me an athletics roll, please. Or agility. My Oh, my agility is actually one better. So I'm gonna do that. Five. Okay, that's a success. Now, make me a vigor roll. That checks out. My vigor is very bad. I know. Would you like give this, me a, Benny? Give me your last Benny. Yeah. Give me Four. Thank God for that. Hey. You manage to tuck and roll off your bike and you clatter onto the streets and a heap rolling for a couple more feet until you come to rest at the edge of a car, but your heavy leathers and the body armor has managed to protect you from the damage. Excellent. You bail on the bike, it wobbles for just a moment, and then spills out onto its side, skidding along the pavement, yellow orange sparks in every direction, and this guy cannot get out of the way. Probably due to his severe wounds but he just can't react fast enough and it clips the bottom of his bike. He goes tumbling end over end, flying off of the bike. His smashes into another nearby car and immediately begins to smoke. He is flung onto the concrete with a heavy, sickening thud and just rolls for another 10 or 15 feet into a motionless pile. And I need to make a roll for him because he is unconscious. Oh, wow. Okay, he blew up when he really needed to. He got a five on his vigor after his minus three <sighs> vigor penalty. Okay. I guess that means the chase is over, huh? I would say so. So right now, <laughs> okay. um, your character has not assessed the situation. So for all you know, this guy's dead. He is motionless in a heap. She gets up, does not pause to dust herself off as she normally might, because, you know, situation's a bit dire, isn't it? And walks over to the other rider... Quickly. Uh-huh. I want to grab him, see if he's alive. He's, I mean, you're in the middle of a street. Are you just taking... No, I want to, like, can I grab him and drag him off? Is there an alley? Yeah, there's plenty of alleys. I pick the nearest one. Well, there's one right here in front of me. Oh, it's me. Uh, it's reasonable that you could lug him up with some amount of effort and drag him to a nearby alley. You can go ahead and do that. He's unconscious, not moving. Might be dead. What do you do? Can I feel on his neck for a pulse? You can take the helmet off. That's true. I do that. You pull off the man's motorcycle helmet. Underneath, he is a thin Nakira man. Slim build. Narrow, sharp face. 
slitted green snake-like eyes and a painstakingly trimmed pencil mustache. Mm. His hair is darker, but more than that, there is a lot of blood. He's clearly banged his head, even with the helmet on the inside. There's a cut over his eyebrow that's bleeding down into his eyes, and he is very unconscious. So his eyes are open? Is he concussed or, like, dead? His eyes are open. Oh, jeez. But not focused and not... Can I snap my finger in front of his face a couple times and see if he reacts at all? No reaction. Okay. Do you can say I... you're checking his pulse? Yeah, can I do that still? You can make a medicine check. Oh, boy. Do you have medicine? Nope. That'll be in a minus two. How about a one? Did you roll with your wild eye? How about a zero? You can't tell. Maybe it's the adrenaline pumping in your veins. Maybe it's your gloved hand. But you cannot tell if there's a pulse. Grab out of my one little belt pouch dig around in there and pull out a little pill. Okay, and what's this pill? It's tiny and it's glowing with a slight yellow white light. Okay. And I want to put it in his mouth. Okay, so this is a consumable that you purchased and this is using what ability? It's imbued with the healing ability. Okay. Roll for the healing check. It'll be your wild die and a d8. Ten. Cast with a raise, so that heals not only one wound, but two wounds. You put this into his mouth, are you like, are you moving his jaw to make him chew it up, or how does this work? I think I kind of, you know, when you have to give cats pills, you sort of like massage their throat oh to get them to swallow it. I guess I do that. Okay, does so that you... work? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it does. You do that, and there's a moment of pause. You see that same glow of energy out of his open mouth. You can see it shining up out of his throat. There's a beat of silence as you wait. Then there's a massive inhalation of breath as he starts forward and goes, (gasps) his posture changes. He's immediately looking around wildly, unsure of where he is, and his eyes fixate on you above him. The pupils contract drastically, leans away from you in fear, putting his one good hand up between you. Oh, God. Oh, don't kill me. Well, Devlin, I didn't want to chase you in the first place, but then you left us. To die? I didn't really appreciate that. So, here we are. Where's the fucking file? I'll give you the file. You just let me go. I, di- I didn't plan for any of this to happen. The guards were coming. You guys were... They were on you anyway. Somebody had to get out with the file and finish the job, right? That's how it works, right? Normally, maybe. But when you join a team, it's kind of a social contract to not leave the rest of them there to die. As you, a hacker, could have helped us out with, I don't know, the alarms and not locked us inside the fucking building with a militia. Hand trembling, he reaches and unzips the leather of his jacket and reaches inside, pulls out a manila file folder, holds it out with trembling hands. Here, God, I, here, I'm sorry, just take it. She grabs it, immediately looks while, into it. While he's handing this to you, can you roll me a notice, please? Yeah, I'd love to. What's your notice? D6. Six. Okay. Five? While you're looking into his eyes as you're having this conversation, you notice that his left pupil is contracting and dilating at a different rate than the right one. An abnormal amount. That's weird. Do I know anything about that? Roll me common knowledge. That's also a d6. Oh my. Let's hope it works. Two? Two is not a success unless you would like to Benny that. I don't have any more Bennies. Oh, you don't. That's a shame. You're not sure what that means. What the fuck is wrong with your eye? He stares back at you and blinks in surprise. God, I don't know. Give me a fucking concussion, maybe. 
hand reaches up and rubs at his temple and says, Oh, God, just just let me go, okay? You got what you wanted. Job's done. Just just let me go. Hmm. Come on, I'm, I'm Chaz Devlin. I helped. I, I helped get that. You did help get that. But who would you have given it to if I had died? Because I'm the one that hired you. Oh, what do you, what do you mean? It was a job posting. Yeah, it was. That's why I went along to make sure it went off without a hitch. Oh, just let me go. I mean, ha- I don't know that I can. You say that he's looking up at your mask. His left hand darts to his right wrist, pushes a button, and your mask is no longer feeding you oxygen. Oh, shit. You cannot breathe. What's your bigger die? D4 minus D4. one. You are not getting air right now. You feel it and the airflow stops. Oh, shit. What would you like to do? Can I scrabble at his arm to try and fix it? Because I really don't want to take it off. You can. Do you have electronics as a skill? No. Okay, do you have hacking as a skill? Would you believe no? Yes, I would believe that. Um, <laughs> I would allow you to make an electronics roll untrained, which is going to be at a minus two. It was a one. A one, okay. Yeah, it's not going to do it. Yeah, so know. you scrabble at his wrist and you're jamming at it. He's trying to move away from you now and he goes... <laughs> he spits on the ground and then there's blood. I'll be on my way. Are you holding him at this point, or...? I mean, if my air supply is cutting off and I'm tunnel visioning, I was grabbing at his arm, but I don't okay, know how yeah. fast that stuff happens yeah, when know. my adrenaline was rushing through me. That tends to burn through oxygen. All right. Were you holding him? Were you grappling his body? No, I was mainly focused on massaging the pill down his throat, and that was the last time I touched him before gotcha. I grabbed the file. He laughs and he says, just let me go and this can all stop. Starts trying to get onto his feet. Your lungs are on fire. Your body is telling you that you're about to die. Well. There's no air. What do you do? She... Oh, fuck. She goes up to her jawline and presses a button. The hard light front of the mask dissolves into the the bits that are on her jawline. And it reveals her face. Mm. Which she was trying to avoid for privacy reasons. Sure. So she has a longer face a narrow nose, two long slash scars that go from her right cheek over the bridge of her nose and into the left forehead. Her eyes are the same yellow-orange as the energy she was blasting Devlin with on the motorcycle. Her pupils are cat slits right now. She looks real angry. She also has a metal circlet, slim, tasteful, on her forehead. She takes a <gasps> real quick, sharp inhale. And I want to pin him to the wall with one fist to his chest. Make me a grapple. Strength. He's going to contest. Five. You got a two, so that's a success. Nice. You entangle him, which means he can't move and he's at a disadvantage. You pin him into the wall. There's just a... Uh, as you knock the air out of him a bit. You notice as you're pinning him against the wall that he has pulled a small pistol out and has it pressed against your stomach. Oh, God. He's staring back at you. You can see his left eye is still convulsing and dilating. I think you better let me go now. You got what you wanted. I'm out of here. The glow recedes from her eyes as she releases him from the wall. Steps back. Just a step. Hands up to let him. To let him go? Yeah. Okay. He takes a step or two away and he's slouching at an odd angle. His right side is heavier and weighing him down more. And his left hand is pointing the pistol from the hip at you as he takes a few steps away into the middle of the alley. And he says, 
don't fuck with Chaz Devlin. He turns around and begins to run down the alley. As he's running away, I'd like to cast Bolt. Okay. Go ahead and cast that for me. Eight. Cast with a raise. That'll add 1d6 to your damage. Sure will. 3d6 damage. Blew up. 16. (laughs) Wow. Okay. 16 is going to cause three wounds. Three? Three wounds, and he is at one wound already. Okay. He is running down the alley to get away from you. Is he, like, limping away? Is he a little slower than he would be normally? He's, He's a little slower, but most of the damage was to his torso and his top half. He's moving slower because he can't jostle himself very much, but he's still moving. You healed two of his wounds to bring him back, so he's at one wound before this damage. She turns to watch him go. You shouldn't have fucked with Pantheon rules or rules. The fact that he pulled a gun on her after she saved him, that's not sitting well with her at all, so she's just gonna try and put this guy in the ground as best she can. She tucks away the file. She unzips her top layer of armor and keeps it literally close to her chest, Mm -hmm. zips it back up, rubs her hands together, fires up her fist with that energy again, and punches a bolt right at him. You punch this bolt of energy. It's an over-the-shoulder shot from your rider's perspective as she hurls this bolt of energy down the dark alleyway. We follow the bolt as it tears down, illuminating the darkness, and bores a hole directly through his chest. Smashes into the wall at the end of the alley. There's a moment where the camera is doing one of those classic looking through the steaming hole in his chest, and he clutches it and stumbles a step or two, does one last look over his shoulder behind you, looks down at the hole again, and then collapses in a heap against the side of the alley. And you now notice that there is another figure standing at the end of the alley, with the hole where your bolt had gone inches away from their head. Oh boy. The alley seems to diverge into two directions, like a T-intersection, and they're standing in the middle of it. You're a six foot something, are you? Pretty tall, so this figure is shorter than you by at least a couple of inches. They're dressed in dark armor, run with yellow trim along the edges. They have a helmet on. It's very sleek. There's a wide V starting at the eyebrows, meeting downward on the nose, glowing with a yellow light. There's a silent moment as they stand there, watching this guy fall over, and then they start walking towards you. At a measured pace. I would like to maybe walk the other way. Can I tap my mask back on to see if it's still got fucked up airway? Yeah, you can turn it back on. It appears to have been cleared at this point. Oh, cool. So you take a breath and you start to walk away? Yes. You hear a voice from behind you in a commanding tone say, I don't think you want to walk that way. As the person shouts that, you can hear in the distance the blaring of sirens. Oh, shit. appear to be drawing closer. And if you look over your shoulder, you see... Two motorcycles in a smoking yeah, heat in the fair. middle of the road. Jeez. The figure takes a few more steps closer to you. You're, uh, you're Artemis, then? The voice is coming out modulated. Not quite a robo-voice, but this is a modulated voice through the helmet. She turns her head to look over her shoulder at the newcomer. I think that depends on who's asking. Well, you'd better come with me. I have something you'll want turns and starts to walk away from you with confidence and then head turns back you don't have much choice toppers are on their way and they're out for blood that's interesting hearing that very specific phrase she would like to follow cautiously 
as they're passing the corpse, they look down, nudge it a little bit with their foot before continuing on, and then walk around the corner, assuming you're following them. Gonna go through a couple alleys and they'll say, Did he deserve it? I think he did. Almost got me and my friend very dead. Supposed to be on a team, so... Can I tap my helmet communicator and ask if Vulcan's okay? Sure. Because I haven't heard anything this whole time, and I'm very concerned. The last you had left Vulcan, your partner in Pantheon, he had been fighting off a group of guards at the facility that you just escaped from. You hit the headset communicator, and you hear a voice come through that says, Yeah, Athena, where you at? In an interesting situation, are you alright? Yeah, I'm fine. Did you get the information? Yeah, now I got it. Do you want to meet back at the safe house later? Yeah, sure. Alright. Take it easy. You too. You turn down another alley. There is a motorcycle there. This one is a, it's a fancier looking motorcycle. So you were on a traditional petroleum gas based device. This one has been modified to work off of quarry energy and is a <sighs> hover cycle. The figure that you're following will climb on and there's room on the back. Turn over their shoulder and say, you're riding bitch. <laughs> Whatever you say. <laughs> And she climbs onto the motorcycle because there are a lot of cops coming the other way and she needs to be out of here in one way or another. So you climb on back of this motorcycle. The person says out loud, Come channel 227.4. Kicks the bike into gear and there's a thrum of energy as the bottom lights up, propulsion kicks in, lifts up and you start to move away. This motorcycle is powered by Cory energy. So the fact that they have this cycle is significant. Instead of normal tires, when you kick it into gear, the energy spins through the tires and they turn horizontal instead of vertical. So they act as hover discs and you can use it to maneuver and fly at low altitudes. But for them, they just peel out of the street with a thrum of energy and they do a skid turn that's much more graceful than it would be on a standard motorcycle when you start going through the streets. As you're riding away and they're weaving in and out of traffic, the sky has finished blackening. It's later than it had been. The neon lights flicker by in a phantasmal wave of sensory overload. Mm. And you've now entered the seedier part of town. Gunshots off in the distance and loud music blasting from the rundown cars you overtake with ease. Did you join the comm channel? I would join that channel. And you just hear a voice come through and it says, Looks like shit here. Don't know how people put up with it. Don't know how you've been able to stand it. You've got shit taste. I mean, just because you're in a situation where you have to be a place doesn't mean you have to like it. So, not that I'm not grateful for the getaway. It's very good. Where are we going? We'll be there soon enough. Okay. Continues driving in silence for the rest of the time, I think. Maybe occasional snide remarks about the neighborhood you're driving through. <laughs> you pull into an especially decrepit back alley. They veer the bike off to stash it in a tiny shutter garage that's attached to a blocky building with no windows. You get off the bike and they turn off the engine, press a button on a wall that starts to lower the shutter, and then they jerk their thumb at the door nearby and says, In here. So someone sent you to kill me. This would be a good place to do it, huh? They uh, pause with their hand on the door and turn over to you and the shutter comes down and you're now standing in the darkness except for the yellow visor light and the blackness. If I was here to kill you, it would have been easy enough to do it in that alley. And they open the door and lead you inside. This place looks like maybe it used to be a garage or a machinist shop, belonged to a mechanic, tools strewn about, bits of machinery, an oil stain in one corner. Is that a rainbow in it? It does. It really pulls the room together. <laughs> there's a door at the back that's open, and you can see there's a cot in a little shitty room there. 
There's a main room, and in the middle of that main room, amidst all the tools and scattered scrap metal and parts, is a table with two chairs. They are several steps ahead of you. The figure leads you over to the table and points at one of the two chairs and says, Sit. I'd prefer to stand. But she does walk over to the table, leans onto the back of the chair. They shrug a little bit. Sit yourself. They walk towards that room that had the bed in it, step inside for a moment, and then come back right away, and they're carrying a bag. It's like a little satchel bag. And they reach into the bag and pull out a smaller plastic bag, like a Ziploc, that appears to have a bunch of photos in it. Aww. And they start to pull photos out of this bag, flop them onto the table and facing you so you can see them. That's you. It's, it's not a question, it's a statement. Is um, it me? It is you. From a job you completed several weeks ago. You're masked, you're in uniform, but it appears to be a security footage. Okay. Maybe you had broken into a facility or something to that effect. And they throw another picture on the table. And they say, and that one. And they do it again. And that one. And they throw out five or six total photos that are all from jobs you've completed probably in the last six months. From various angles and security footage. Then they pull out a small PDA tablet with a smaller screen. Press a few buttons on it. Hold it out. And this one. And this is a picture from probably about 20 or 30 minutes ago of you on your motorcycle going through the city. Oh, like a dash cam? This one looks like it's from a building. There's a bit of motion blur. It's you on the motorcycle and you can see the other guy that you were chasing just ahead of you. But it's you in the same armor that you're wearing right now. You can't yeah. see your face, but it's definitely you. Gotcha. You've made quite the name. Seems you've been enjoying yourself these past couple of years. <laughs> I wouldn't say enjoying myself, but a small business takes a lot of work. They press a couple more buttons on their PDA and pull up yet another picture, and this is from the facility that you were at an hour or two ago. This one looks like it was from maybe a body cam of one of the guards you guys had been fighting. It's an action shot, and you see Vulcan standing there with quite a large machine gun on a gimbal that's attached to his waist, opening fire at someone. You're over there throwing a bolt of energy at another guard. What were you doing there? Hmm, what was I doing there? I was doing a couple of things. I was slinging around some quarry, as you can see there. Very impressive, I know. I was protecting my good friend. That's another thing I was doing. I was pursuing someone who betrayed us, so that's another thing I was doing. They start to roll their hand in the air like a hurried along. Yes, those those are all things you were doing. I asked what what you were doing. What's the purpose of you being there? Why were you there? This person's got her dead to rights, so at this point she's like, there's, there's really no point posturing and standing up, and she's had a very long day, so she does pull out the chair and sit down. She pats her vest, knowing that underneath is the file that she tucked away after retrieving it from Devlin. Oh, I got what I went there for. Just a bit of information. Hmm. About what? Or about who? And they say that and they lean on the table, not quite in an intimidating way, but they put their weight on the table and lean in. And that yellow visor is glinting. Why don't I trade a question for a question? Um, why the fuck are you taking all these pictures of me? To what end? Oh, I didn't take any of these. This is your sloppy work. Then why are you mopping it up? Hmm. That is a good question. She's real tense. Like, her shoulders are set. She doesn't know if she's gonna have to fight again. She is very tired. Mm. After they say that is a good question, they lean back off the table and reach into that satchel again and pull out a second smaller plastic bag. Oh, is that more incriminating photos? I'd love to see them. Well, 
It might be. And they brush some of the other photos off to the side to make room, pulling these out and putting them down in front of you. And these aren't photos. This is a series of postcards from various locales in the region. There's a shot of a beach with a palm tree and it says sunny times on it. And there's one of a shot of a cityscape at twilight, probably Olera. A couple other scattered ones. They flip over one of them and there's nothing on the back. So she turns one of the postcards over completely blank. There's nothing written on it except for in the from line, there is a single blue line that has been drawn across instead of a name. When she sees these postcards, Athena remembers them intimately because she's the one who sent them. And she just whispers, how, d how did you get these? Oh, I had to do a bit of digging. They weren't meant for you. So you did send them. Her masked cyber eyes flit around the room, trying to figure out what she needs to do. Like, does she need to ice this person? Get information out of her first. But I think before she does anything, she wants to take all of the postcards in her hand and just flip through them and quietly look at them while she figures out a course of action. So you take the postcards and you start to leaf through them and the figure across from you starts to pace back and forth, flexing and unflexing their hands. They give you a couple of moments of silence. Could I roll a notice to see if anything seems like it's imminently dangerous here? Go ahead and roll notice. Two. That is a fail. Yeah. You can't tell. All you can tell is this person is agitated. So am I. They're going to stop pacing after maybe 10 or 15 seconds and they're going to point at you and they're going to say, Did you send those fucking cards? I want Athena to unzip the front of her armor once again and tuck the postcards with the file and say, well, yes, I did, as she zips it back up. When she admits that she's the one who sent it, the person reaches up like they're about to rub their eyes or something like that and realizes <laughs> their mask is on. Sighs and just said, take off the damn mask. No. I think you can appreciate as a person also wearing a mask that this is my last line of defense. There's a moment of pause as you stare at each other, and the figure tugs off the glove of their right hand, and they move to push a button by the jawline of the helmet. The yellow light and the V of the eyes dies. The visor slides back into the helmet, and there's a pair of eyes staring back at you. There's a blue line running across the bridge of their nose, and they move their hand up, touch the blue line on their face, and it begins to glow ever so slightly. As she does that, you feel your bicep heat up and tingle, a soft yellow glow permeating through the black cloth of your shirt, where you know your Cory tattoo rests in your skin. Your twinned Cory tattoo. Hmm. Athena's never been closer to her heart, just stopping outright. There's a tired moment of silence again, following that, before the figure reaches up and pulls off the rest of the helmet, and you are faced with your longtime friend and ex-partner Sekapavi. Oh god, there she is, my and girl. <laughs> Pavi's skin is a light terracotta, tan with orange undertones. Orange hair with yellow tips, cut in a bob, shorter in the back with long bangs that taper into points to frame her face. Her eyes burn a yellow-orange, several shades off from your own, that match her hair as is expected from the Ori people. Despite the color, she has the eyes of an Akir, the color takes up the entire eye, and her pupil is a narrow slit, snake-like. There's a blue tattoo that runs across her cheekbones and over her nose. She has pointed canines and seams at the edge of her mouth that run an inch or two into her cheeks. 
and she looks much like you remember her, but older and maybe a bit more tired, like some of the fire has been traded for temperance. Oh, man. She holds her helmet and stares at you, waits at least a little bit for any kind of response. After she takes off her helmet, Athena gets up immediately to go over to her, and she hits her jawline. Her mask visor just disintegrates. Mm -hmm. She finally did what she asked. Are you still seated? Or? No, I, wa I'm, I walk over to her. Standing in front? Yep. Tears start welling up in her eyes, and I don't even know if she's noticed yet. Pavi also starts crying just a little bit, and she's looking at you. There's a height disparity. You're about six feet. She's probably five and a half feet, but she looks up at you, and her eyes narrow a little bit. She sniffs, and she says, You've gotten uglier. <laughs> that's, that's really rude, Pavi. She, she, she eyes your, your scars. Pavi's mouth opens just a little bit, and her elongated tongue flits out with a th and she wrinkles her nose a little bit and says, You smell like Athena. <laughs> oh man, I, I, I hug her. She hugs you back. There's a moment of very genuine ferocity in the hug. After that moment, she punches you in the stomach and pushes you back a little bit. Oh no. So she does that and pushes you back. Seven fucking years. Takes a step, kicks the table. All of the pictures had been on. Except for the postcards. It, you, I tucked those You did those grab the postcards. So she... Away. She does an upward swing of a kick. Like, it's not, it doesn't have any finesse. It's just a frustration kick. She kicks it and upends it. Just goes, ugh. Pavi, I'm so sorry. Yeah, you will be sorry. Is that a threat? I don't, I don't know. It's been a, it's been a long time, Athena. You've been gone a long time. People thought you were dead. And here I find you gallivanting along with the fucking toppers on the surface. Doing God knows what. Well, I know what you've been doing. Gestures at the pictures that maybe there's one or two that are still fluttering to the ground so i know this looks um this looks real bad but i can try to explain if you want it's not going to be a very good explanation it's not going to be very fulfilling but it's what's happened and i'm i'm so sorry Pavi. Yeah. i missed you so much she's again been pacing back and forth trying to get rid of some energy now she, she pauses. She stops pacing and turns to look at you and says, I missed you too. And yeah, I I mean, I would like an explanation, even if it's not a good one. But what the fuck was that voice you were doing? Was that, <laughs> was that me? You're trying to do me. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, a little bit. Is it doing anything for you? I mean, the narcissist in me is quite flattered, but it's fucking weird. Kept you close. Mm. You know? Yeah, real close. Well... I'm... You fucking miss. <laughs> oh, man, you don't even know the half of it. I'm sure I don't. So I started a business. Mmm, quite the entrepreneur you are. Booming. Your father would be very proud. Yeah, I hope he never finds out. Well. How is... How is everyone... Good old Clint. Everyone. Well, that's a... It's quite a loaded question. Yeah, I know. Things have changed. Some people move on, some don't. You know it is. Your parents are all right. Are they kind of in the camp that thinks I died, or...? I think they believe that, uh, that you're still out here somewhere. You disappeared. There was no body. There was no signs of a struggle. There was no record of you leaving the city. Nothing on the transit. Nothing in the, the DNA scanners. You just... Poof. You vanished. You are gone. Overnight. Within a matter of a couple of hours. I mean, most people figured you left with Joel. You know? After his retirement ceremony. 
So, but, you know, he's been out. It's been so, you know how it is. A lot of people leave the city, they don't come back, especially when they get on in the years and they want to go out and they want to see the rest of the world. Most of them don't come back. That's not unheard of. But no one ever heard anything from him and they ever heard anything from you, so they either assumed the worst or assumed you ran off with him. Basically, his prodigy, his ward. Joel's dead. What? When? Out here. He died the night I left. It's why I left. What? I don't understand. She's turned to face you with hands on her hips, very confused. What do you mean he died? Why didn't you tell anyone? What happened? Javi, it was really bad. There's something going on in the city. I don't know who I can trust and who I can't, but I had to leave. I know that doesn't make a whole lot of sense right now. N no, it doesn't. Uh, okay. Joel's party. It all happened after that. Athena begins to recount her story. Pavi buckles in to listen with rapt attention. As Athena begins to speak, her words become muffled, fade out, as the camera pans away. As the camera fades back in, we find ourselves at the retirement party for Joel Shin. Athena's mentor in the Regulator Unit. A night seven years ago, there had been a banquet, and the banquet itself was large and lavish. Joel Shin had served as the Proctor, which is the title of the head of the Standard Regulation Division, for many years. Beloved by all, a wise mentor, a powerful man, and this was his retirement party, his going away party, because the next day he was set to set off to the surface to live a life of adventure and exploration, as is somewhat common for older residents of Caldonix or those who had lived here for too long, craved something different. The banquet itself was tasteful, happy, and sad, many goodbyes, many heartwarming smiles, pats on the back. You had a place of honor, not next to him, but everyone knew that Athena was his disciple, his protege, and they were close. After many toasts and hellos and goodbyes, the banquet began to draw to a close. Amidst everything, Joel would make time to see Athena and say goodbye. Joel is an Ori man with skin that's a rich shade of umber. Green tattoos, completely bald head, kind green eyes, there's a glow behind them as there is with all Ori. He has rectangular spectacles perched on his nose and a very kindly face. Joel Shin was always a man of dignity and warmth and thought and when it counted action. And he approaches you, he's dressed in fineries. Black and red serves as the formal wear for all regulation divisions. He's holding a drink in his hand, and he walks up to Athena and says, How are you this evening? Well, Proctor, I'm a bit emotionally compromised. That is understandable, but you don't need to call me Proctor anymore. Honestly, it's kind of weird not to. There have been times that we have not been so formal. We're just in a very formal sort. I mean, look at how fancy everyone is. Poppy put on a dress. I know. Very strange. <laughs> I'm very proud of you, you know. Oh, don't tell me that. Puts his left hand on your shoulder and gives you a squeeze. Mm -hmm. You're going to do fine. And I expect you to apply for my position once I'm gone. Right now? 
It's good to have experience. I mean, I guess. I never thought I'd... I don't know, Joel. It's up to you. If you don't feel ready, no pressure. But I think you could do great things. And you will do great things. <laughs> Thanks. I'm gonna... I'm gonna try and make you real proud. You already have. Stop. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Well, we'll see if I have the option not to. <laughs> I suppose that is true. Pavi's a good egg. Look out for her. I will. Hmm. You know, I've never been on the surface before. Really? You're just going to live there on a lark? I'm not moving to a cottage on the beach, you <laughs> understand. I'm going to go out and see the world. There are very few who have seen it as it is today, since the Zero. It um. is an exciting opportunity, and I may yet come back. I don't have any intention of dying out there, I can tell you. <laughs> you should come back and bring me souvenirs from well, every cool place you go to. I'm sure I will bring you something, but I will be traveling light. Every place you go to, yeah. and she waggles her finger at him. Yes. Pictures count as souvenirs, Joel. As you say, he pats you on the shoulder, gives you one more squeeze, and he takes a real long moment to, to look at you in the eyes, and he says, take care of yourself, Athena. You too, Joel. Gives you a pat and walks back into the crowd. You don't see him for the rest of the night after that, mm. which isn't, it's, it's winding down. You know, he's going off and saying his various goodbyes. Probably going to pack. He's probably packing weeks in <laughs> advance. He probably was. Joel was never married. He didn't know him to be a romantic type of man. Married to the job. You linger at the banquet. There's food. Fancy looking cutlery. Are Good. there sugar packets on the table? Yeah. Athena and Pavi are making castles out of them, seeing <laughs> who falls down first. You spend some time palling around with Pavi, who is in a dress, not something you typically see her wear, but she's having a good time. Got a couple of drinks in her. <laughs> Eventually, she shuffles off into the crowd because she sees somebody she knows and leaves you to your own devices, and the party is winding down at this point. And as you're sitting there by yourself, you realize that you would never put a specific case file back into your work bag. One of the interns had brought it by your desk earlier in the day and left it there, and you had intended on taking it with you for the night to do a little bit more research when you got home after the event. It's not there. It's not in your bag. Fuck. Goddamn interns. Do you go to meet anybody else before you leave the banquet? No, I don't think she really wants to talk to anybody right now. That's it's fair. been a tough day, and she tends to crumple in on herself when she's stressed, mm -hmm. so... I think she just wants to go find the file and go home and take a bath and read it. What is Athena dressed like right now? She's got like a formal sort of dress on that parts a little higher in the middle than it does in the back. Dark gray leggings, a soft boot, one that you'd feel it and it feels like a peach, but it's like black. It's not a cape, but it is like a shawl fancy attire that she's attached her regulator badge to over top of the dress. And it goes to about her mid-back. Her hair is shorter. Oh. No scars on her face. It's very curly and tangled. And if she catches her reflection in one of the windows, she's like, oh, same way my mom's hair looks. <laughs> <laughs> very real concern. So you leave the banquet hall, which is in actuality a very large conference room in the regulator central headquarters in the center of the city of Caldonics. Repurposed whenever there are events and gatherings. 
sometimes schmoozing with the higher ups, some of the Nixians, the college elbows. rubbing elbows, yes, building good PR. So it's connected to the rest of the main headquarters, the offices. It's a trivial matter to find your way, slip out the back door and make your way down the hall to the elevator, which takes you down. Many of the offices are subterranean. It saves space when you can dig down as yeah. well as digging up. This building is tall as well, though. The spire is the tallest building in Caldonix and goes all the way up so that the regulators can make use of it. Your office is very near the bottom floor of the building. The elevator's a quiet hum. As you make your way down, there's a comfortable silence and knowing that you're finally by yourself and away from the hustle and bustle. Is there any music in the elevator? No. Hmm. It's after hours. Ah. And your office is, it's small, but it's comfortable. You make your way down the hallway. Are you wearing high heels? Flats. Oh, okay, flats. There's a soft thump with each step that reverberates only slightly off of the walls. You can turn the light switch on. Like? Make your way down the hallway to your office, and you find that the file is not actually on your desk. Oh, fuck. Which means that the intern may have returned it to the records room. <sighs> I don't want to go to the room yes the records room one further step removed from the rest of the normal working quarters is technically on the same floor but only accessible by a set of stairways Ugh. at the back which also leads to one of the secure contraband rooms oh athena feels about stairs unfavorable and, and unfortunately she must brave them Ugh. and again your footsteps echo in the stairwell as you go down and it's darker here even the lights aren't as bright as they typically are. And you go to the records room, which is by one of the contraband rooms, as well as the incinerator, which is used to dispose of dangerous contraband after it's been reviewed and processed. And the records room is unlocked and you're able to go in, but as you get closer, you notice that the door to the incinerator room is ajar. An orange light seeping between the cracks of the door, and you can hear muffled voices from the other side. That's weird. It is very uncommon. It's a dangerous room. It's typically only utilized during the normal business hours. Staff members who deal with disposing of the contraband. Can anybody just go in there or do you have to have a special key card? Or? It's something that anybody can do, but it's regulated more closely based on who they send down there. Really, it's more of a matter of the less people that are down there exposed to the danger of using the incinerator, as they call it, the better. It's fair. What do you do? Well, we're going to go check that out. You get to the door and... It's ajar enough that you can, if you put your eye up to it, you can see through, but not well. And if you shimmy back and forth in front of it, you can get a better view. There are a number of figures. It looks like at least four, five, six, maybe, standing out there. You try to open the door a little bit more. Mm, I mean, if I can't get a really good look like this, just a centimeter more. You budge the door just a little bit more. Quietly. It's enough. Must have been serviced recently because there's no squeak. Mm. You budge the door, opens just a little bit more and gives you a perfect view, staring straight ahead in the incinerator room. They call it an incinerator, but it's not really a mechanism. It's more like a pit in the floor. It has a hatch, a mechanized hatch that can open and close by design, and it leads straight down into the heart of the mountain. A straight shot drop down. Based on what you can remember, at one point, there was a very large quarry deposit here, a large crystal that in the early days when this area was hollowed out, was fully taken out, harvested away. And for some reason, this one never really grew back. 
as many of them do. Hmm. The vein didn't grow back, but the energy was still exposed. And the energy, contrary to most Cory, was much more volatile, oh. highly, highly dangerous. The heat is intense, basically a black hole, which you can drop things into and they disappear entirely. There is a catwalk high up, 20 feet above the pit, where one can walk and survey and drop things down if need be. As you watch, there are four figures standing on the catwalk and three figures standing down by the pit itself. The four figures on the catwalk are shrouded, covered completely in red robes, similar red robes to the fineries worn at the retirement event that you just left. Mm -hmm. Two figures that are standing down by the pit do not have hoods up. They're visible fully. Delegate Tilina Rasmus is a formidable Yara woman. She has dark black hair pulled back into a ponytail and a long stern face. Her arms are crossed and her extra set of mantis-like legs fidgeting idly as she stands there. The other is Oculus Jex Davith, slim human man, a mess of blonde hair on his head, thick square-framed glasses. He's known to be a powerful psionic. The third member standing by them is Joel Shin, dressed just as he was minutes ago when you saw him up at the party, and they appear to be in conversation. And now that you're standing closer, you're listening, you're close enough to hear some of their words. But unfortunately, it appears as though you've arrived at the end of a conversation. Mm. And all you catch as you're standing there watching is the voice of Jex Davith standing next to Joel. He places a hand on Joel's shoulder, much as he had done for you, and he says, Thank you for your service. Takes a step back. Talina does the same on his other side. And all the gathered figures except Jolshin perform the standard regulator salute. Taking your left arm, resting at your side, falling into a fist, touching it to your right shoulder, and then letting it fall. An echo of what Jex said. And all the figures together speak and they say, Thank you for your service. And the pit, which is open, the maw wide, you can see the flickering of orange-yellow energy yeah. casting shadows on the wall as they stand there. What does and it smell like? Ozone. Hmm. You stand and you watch as Joel offers a nod in return to Jex, takes a step forward, stretches out his arms, and plummets directly into the furnace. <sighs> and as you watch him disappear, there's a surge of energy from the pit. Yellow-orange flares brightly into a deep crimson, and you see a tendril of energy lick upwards and then get pulled right back down immediately. <sighs> Almost like a great tongue that swallowed him whole. What is Athena's reaction? Her mentor has walked directly into death, it seems. Oh my god. Joel. There is a deep metal clang, and then you hear the shutters on the furnace begin to close, and the figures have not moved, but Talina and Jex look up at the other four. Can I make anything out about the robe people? They're wearing standard regulator fineries, deep crimson or shades of maroon, very robe-like cloaks with dark tones underneath. They all have either hoods or part of their cloaks pulled up over their heads, which shroud their faces here. You would be able to tell a mixture in size between the cloaked figures. One of them is noticeably larger than the others. Very built, at least seven feet tall. Oh, damn. The other three appear to be average height. 
but it's hard to tell from here. You can't really tell those apart, but one of gotcha. them's one of them's definitely bigger. Okay. Aside from the light that was being cast by the furnace, it's pretty dark. Not easy to see specific details, and now that it's starting to close, a lot of the light is leaving. What does Athena do? Flees. But she has enough presence of mind to turn off the light switch she turned on. Hmm. If anything's going to trigger some fight or flight, it's that. You race your way back the way you came, up the stairs, past your office, through the hallways. It's just as quiet as when you made your way down here. Quiet as death. You make your way back to the elevator. Your finger finds the button. It's cold. Cold metal. You feel a shiver run up your spine as you wait for it to come back. She's looking down the hallway just to make sure. And you wait. And you wait. It's not coming, is it? It does. Finally come. <sighs> with a dull ding in the empty silence of this hallway. I don't even know if she can hear it over the blood in her ears. You enter the elevator. The doors slide shut with a thump of finality. You jam the button to go up to the ground floor. And the quiet hum of the elevator takes over an underlying vibration in the background. As time passes and as you go higher and higher, the vibration feels louder in your ears until the quiet becomes a deafening echo in your mind. They're going, they're going to find me. They're, they're going to know. Oh my God, please. No, I have to, I have to run. I have to go. And as you're waiting and breathing and dreading what you've just seen, you can feel the walls closing in on you. You feel more alone than ever. And as you watch the lights glow for each floor you pass, another thought streaks through your mind of your life here, each step you took along the journey to become a regulator. Joel showed you along the way, your mentor and your friend, and now... A memory. You reach the ground floor in a haze, and thinking back, you don't know how you got from there to the train. You flee the city, adrenaline pumping in your ears, your head pounding. You come back to yourself as the train lurches. With a jolt, you've hidden yourself among some crates and boxes, dark and cramped, and quiet. Every so often you can hear something outside. Maybe chatter. In time, it passes. You don't know how long it takes the train to get moving, but eventually there is a lurch of motion. I bet it felt like forever. Felt like an eternity, sitting in the dark by yourself, with nothing but your thoughts. Eventually, the train pulls away. It takes a number of hours to reach the surface, but when you do, you don't have a hard time slipping out. Security's lighter on the surface. They don't really care too much about what's going out rather than what's coming in. Mm -hmm. And similar to last time, you can wait until you're able to slip past. And it's night, and it's the surface, and you emerge from the building, and you look up, and it's open. Ugh. An open sky with no ceiling, no cave. The pit of her stomach drops out a bit. But there are stars. Glinting motes of light millions of miles away. She'd appreciate them a lot more if they weren't so blurry. 
she rubs her eyes and she realizes she's been crying for a long time. And she realizes she's thirsty too. And very alone. Very alone. And the shot is behind Athena and below, looking up at her back as she looks at the stars overhead and it fades slowly to black. Our last image is Athena, scared and alone. Hey, everyone. Hey, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to episode, the recut, the remastered episode one. The HD re-release. <laughs> neon Heat. Very exciting. If you made it the whole way through episode one and you liked it, then I think it's a safe bet to say that you're going to like what we bring to the table. Because now that I've been editing for two years, a, year two years, a year and a half, I've learned a lot of tips and tricks. And I wanted to show how the majority actually is sound wise. Episode eight, we pretty much figure out the good way to do stuff and it only refines. Now look at us. Almost the end of season two. Yeah. We're going to post the original episode one on our Patreon bonus content. If you're ever curious, it'll be there archived, not losing anything. At a certain point, we started doing these custom outros to our episodes because they're more fun and we think they're more personalized. So who do we have for music this week, Allie? The wonderful Crockett. The ever talented Crockett. (laughs) Crockett. You can find him on Twitter at Crockett80s and on Bandcamp at Crockett.Bandcamp.com. And that's Crockett with two T's. C-R-O-C-K-E-T-T. You can find us on Twitter at RPG for you and me and me personally on Twitter at UC the Hat. I post a lot of character art and bonus content from the show. Some of it's a little spoilery, so maybe catch up first. <laughs> <laughs> if you like what you heard here, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash RPG for you and me. You can join our patron exclusive Discord server at the $2 a month tier. We also have a separate series called Absolute Zero. That's true, we do. Run in the same system, Savage Worlds. Also same setting. Duet, same setting. But this time I'm the PC and Allie is the storyteller, GM, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, Allie whatever. runs it. Yeah, I run it. Allie's the big cheese, even <laughs> though she's lactose intolerant. <laughs> and you'll see some of those episodes on the main feed, but we always have the most up-to-date stuff on our Patreon. This is true. There's more on the way, baby. Big thank you to one patron in particular. Michael. Michael. Thank you so much, Michael. We hope you like this recut. Yeah, I I think it came together quite well, even though I haven't listened to it yet. (laughs) (laughs) But based on your track record, it's always very good. And I will be listening to it before this is posted live. As always, thank you to the Pinnacle Entertainment Group, who you can find online at peginc.com for use of the Savage World system. They got a lot of cool one-sheet adventures, a bunch of different settings to play in. I'm partial to Rippers myself. Go check them out. Big, big thank you to Caleb Sunstead, Marshall Caleb of Sounds Like Crows Acclaim. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. How's hey, it, buddy. How how's you it going? I know we you love you, guy. And if you came over here from Sounds Like Crows, great. It's a great show and you should keep listening to it. Dem boys. And if you didn't, then you should go check out Sounds Like Crows. Sounds Like Crows follows five brothers on a quest for revenge. In the supernatural Wild West. Yes. But if this is your first time with us, thanks for giving us a shot, you guys. We know we're not for everybody, but if you came through on this side and you're still happy, then I think we'll vibe pretty hard. Thanks for being here. We appreciate it. Stay safe. We'll get out of your hair. All right. Goodbye.